Good morning. Great to be with you today. Happy belated Thanksgiving. I hope you had I hope you ate to your your appetite's content, right? There's very few holidays that are quite as just scrumptious as Thanksgiving. If this is your first time here, we are uh, thrilled to have you here today. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here at High Point Church. Uh, and again, I've already said it, but we, we hope you had just a great Thanksgiving. Growing up in the Midwest, uh, Thanksgiving around this time, you would have potentially already had your first good snow, right? I mean, in the Midwest and St. Louis, it gets cold, it gets cold quick, and it lasts for a good amount of time. And so, so there was a bit of snow many times around Thanksgiving growing up, right? And when you had the snow hit... I'm going to tell you what you, you did in case you're from Florida or maybe you grew up around here and you, you don't know the joy of, of watching the news. And you're looking and you're watching for the name of your school to pop up. Because if the name of your school popped up, you knew it was game on. You didn't have to go to school the next day. Right. Everybody got surprised by the snow or a little ice. Right. And so that meant you were going to get to play all day. Day. All right, you could stay up late. It was party time. And so that meant snowballs. That meant sledding. It also meant it was time to pull out a little box or a bin. And in that box or bin, right, you had specialty items in such a box or bin that you wore to play in the snow. You had toboggans. You had your thick gloves, right? Because you couldn't just do some namby-pamby glove. Like, you needed to protect your hands, right? Because it got cold out there. Then you had your snow boots. And did anybody wear snow pants? You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, you put the pants on over the jeans, right? Those were snow pants to protect you because it got cold. You guys with me? Right. Some of you are like, man, I don't know what you're talking about. I know that was when, if you grew up in an area that got snow or cold, this was just this was just how it went. Right. You played outside and you played outside until one of two things, lunch or dinner. And you come inside and your face was flushed. Right. You had like the blue lips. Right. Your body wasn't even working right anymore because you were outside for so long. And you had the ring like around your wrist. Didn't matter if you had a great coat and good gloves. There was a ring of like ice that just it was cold and wet and damp around your wrists and around your ankles. There wasn't anything you could do about it. It was always going to be the case. You would go to the garage if you had one. And this is where you would strip out of all this, all this stuff. The boots, the gloves, the toboggan, the, the big, the coat, all the snow pants. And sometimes it was cumbersome. It would take you a hot minute to get out of it. But you did not dare wear these snow clothes into the house. Why? Because they're wet and they're filthy and they're disgusting and they're turning to ice and they're all the things. And if your mother saw you just kicking it at the kitchen table, eating a sandwich, in your snow clothes, you were next to dying, right? You just, you did not do such a thing. We all understand that there are clothes that you wear 
that are appropriate for one occasion and inappropriate for another. And I am here to tell you, nobody is welcoming, you know, 10-year-old Andy to the kitchen table in wet, soggy, icy snow clothes. Those belong in the garage or in the dryer where they would get, you know, heated up for the next time. What you wear is significant. What you wear has implications. You ever been to a party before and you're the one who's unfortunately underdressed for the occasion? Guilty. It's embarrassing. Or you're the one who's overdressed. I would take overdressed more than I would being underdressed, right? But you've also been the one who's like, you know, fancy schmancy and nobody else is dressed as nice. And you think, what, what happened here? Or you've got the Halloween party. Friends of ours came to a Halloween party thinking that it was a costume party. And they went all out for it. And they were the only two in the entire party dressed in a costume. What you wear is significant. And that's why when the writer Paul, or the apostle Paul, excuse me, when he writes in you know, this letter uh, to the Colossian church that you can read in, in, in the New Testament, when he describes your living for Jesus, he describes it in the same language that we would use for putting on clothes, putting things on and taking things off, taking things off and putting things on. He's using language that every single person can grasp and understand. He's talking about the life that you and I get to experience in Jesus. And he describes it in the same way that you would take some stuff off, leave it in the garage, and put something else on. Why? Because what we wear is significant. And I would submit to you today that as we talk about life, true life, in Jesus. Sometimes the greatest challenge for us experiencing what God really has for us is we just aren't wearing the right stuff. Turn to Colossians chapter 3 today. Father, be with us as we get into your word. I pray that you would truly help us, God. Lord, help us. Help us be a people Lord, who are changed, who are transformed, who are made new, whether we're in high school or middle school, elementary school, whether we're, we're serving and working for Nativity with Soul uh, coming up in a couple weeks, or whether it's, whether it's uh, God, somebody that's come in for the first time here today or, or has been a Christian for 47 years. Lord, I am praying today, Lord, that you would bring fresh life to us and help us take off what needs to be taken off. Help us to put on what needs to be put on. Amen. Paul writes in Colossians 3, verse 5. He's writing to the church. This would have been read in front of the entire assembly that's meeting in a house. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. That's heavy language. 
used to walk in these ways. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Now, I, we've got to hit pause here for a second because it would be easy for me to, to kind of have a church moment where I'm, I'm making assumptions and I really, I genuinely don't want, I don't want to do that. And so I want, to back this, I want to back the train up a little bit today, okay? Because Paul is, is writing about people who lived a certain way. And they were once this way. You used to live like that. And prior to this, I, I don't get a, I'm not going to have the chance to read Colossians 1 and 2 for you. But he's talking about, hey, you're alive in Jesus, in other words, as you already heard today, the gospel, Jesus died for your sins and he's made you alive. If you've put your faith in Jesus, this amazing God, he sent his son, his son Jesus, and his son died for you. He stood in your place. Substitutionary atonement, right? A big theology word. In other words, in the same way that you have a substitute teacher, right, at school who, who steps in place for the teacher who's, who's, who's normally there, you have a God who sent his son who steps into your life as the substitute. He's substituting himself and he's taking upon himself all your sin and all your jacked upness. And that is, in fact, the gospel. You put your faith in him as your savior and your Messiah. And that is good. We need to do that. We cannot delete that from the conversation regarding what the gospel is. But many times people in my position, I'll be fully honest with you. We leave the gospel at that. The gospel is primarily just about Jesus. He came, he forgave you of your sin, put your faith in him, pray this prayer and we're bam, you're done. Feels good. And we forget that there is a whole life to be lived and to be experienced. And that the life of Jesus is in fact attractive. Like it's amazing. This Jesus that we're talking about. Oh, he'll confront your, your sin. He'll confront your, your heart. He'll resist that. But people were drawn to Jesus because Jesus is in fact amazing. And when you put your faith in him, yes, he saves you from your sin, but he also begins to restore and renew everything else in your life. I want you to hear this. It's not just this one-stop shop and you're done. There is a mission of renewal and restoration that's happening on the inside of you that you might actually experience the joy of the Lord, the joy of knowing him. 
Like this God's amazing. And then he commissions you so that as somebody who is walking in the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus preached and taught about, now every place your foot treads and every place that, you, that, you, that your mouth opens and your eyes see and you, and, and you go and, and, the, and literally every single thing that you're doing, you're taking this joy of the Lord with you. And as Christ's ambassador, whether you work at home in front of a computer, whether you own your own business, whether you're a stay-at-home dad or a stay-at-home mom, whatever you might do, whoever you might be, maybe you're a student, right? Maybe you're in college, maybe you're in high school or middle school. Everywhere you go, you bring about the kingdom of God. That is the gospel. It's not just this one slice. Yes, Jesus has forgiven you of your sin. That is true. Don't forget that. It anchors on that. But also, Jesus is, I mean, he's absolutely, astoundingly amazing, and he's restoring, and he's renewing, and he's sending you out so that everywhere you go, you bring the joy of Jesus with you. And that transforms everything. That's the gospel. That is good news. So when we talk of this, right, these are some heavy things that Paul is talking about. But if we just understand the gospel as this transaction that's not relational, that's not really loving, that's not, that's not joyful, then it can feel very hard and very heavy-handed. And what you've got to grasp is that Jesus is, he's inviting you to trade in a bowl of dog food for a seven-course steak dinner. And so the gospel is great news. Put to death, Paul says, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Let that stuff die. Put it, put it to that. That's not who you are anymore. Let that stuff be dead. Put it to death. And then he goes on and he lists it out. Sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. When Paul writes of sexual immorality, he's talking about sex outside of marriage. And I realize to stand in front of people nowadays in 2023 and say, hey, that's not the life that Jesus has called you to. That is, in fact, outside the boundaries. That's not gospel living. That is sin. To do such a thing, people are astounded. We don't hear that because it's hurtful or offensive. But if we don't understand that the gospel is amazingly good news because Jesus is in fact amazing, well, then that just feels like bad news. But it's actually great news. The invitation for you is to experience sex within the boundaries of marriage. That is great news. Let all the other stuff Go by the wayside. That's not what's best for you. Let that stuff die. Impurity. That's uh, the word there. I'm not going to give you a Greek lesson on all these words, just FYI. But that's your imagination, 
a lurid heart or mind. Lust is emotion of the heart that leads to excess. It's the, it's the continual craving of more. Evil desire, longing for what is forbidden. And then Paul puts a bow around this entire list and he says greed. He literally has divided two lists up regarding, regarding sex and speech. Regarding things that need to die, like old clothes left in the garage. He divides it up into two categories. But the first list is all these terms regarding sex and sexual morality and impurity and lust. But then at the bottom of it, he calls it, he says greed. And what many of us miss is that the heart of lust and the heart of immorality and the heart of greed is tied to the same thing. It's a continual hunger for that which you are not called to have. I want that and I can't have it or I shouldn't have it and I'm longing for it. Whether it's money or whether it's physical, it's rooted in a heart that's got greed. And Paul says, put that stuff to death. Let it go. Take this off and put this on. And this isn't bad news. It's great news. So here's my question. Great growth demands great honesty. Okay. That means you've got to be honest with yourself. You've got to be honest with God. Sometimes we've got to have moments where, where we just have a moment of honesty with somebody else. Scriptures say confess your sins to one another, right, so that you may be healed. In other words, like there's something powerful about having moments of honesty. What are you dealing with? What needs to come off? What needs to be taken off like, a, like this flannel shirt that's sucking the life out of me and making me sweat right up here? What, what needs to come off? What, what coat? What jacket? What, what thing that does not honor Jesus needs to come off of your life? And what needs to be put on instead? Colossians 3.12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We're commanded to put on virtues that stand in stark contrast to the vices we're commanded to take off. I love how, you know, Paul, it's helpful for my brain, he just kind of starts listing things out. But what's very absent in nearly every single letter that Paul writes is somehow a, a, a how-to. He does not give you detailed instruction on how you are actually supposed to do this. 
And if you read the Bible, some of these things, like how do I actually forgive somebody, right, when, when I'm knotted up with unforgiveness? How do I grow in patience in this area? Or maybe it is just some lustful thing or, or the language that's coming out of my mouth. Maybe I am angry on the inside. Is there a step-by-step, Paul, for actually walking in this freedom? Because we don't ever get one in any of the letters that Paul writes. And I'm going to say something that I, I have a feeling will be unpopular with some of you. But in about 20 years of pastoring and ministering, I'm going to say, I'm going to just say it. If you want to grow, you'll grow. If you want freedom, you will find freedom. Now, are there exceptions? Of course, right? There is the, the you know, when, when I'm teaching my children, right, as they're, as they're growing, like you've got to be taught how to tie your shoe and, and there's the, you know, the, the, the buttons that don't quite get buttoned and, you know, they come down in the living room and it's, you know, the, it's wonky, the shirt's not quite buttoned properly, but they got the shirt on and they got the shoes on. Right? Are, are you you're with me on this? I, I, I never had to teach my, ch- my baby how to get out of a onesie. I never had to teach them how to get out of the, the snuggle wrap thing, right? That, to, you know, the, that little thing that they went to bed in. I'd come back in and there'd be arms out and legs out. They didn't have to be taught this. They wanted to get out. And guess what they did? They were determined to get out. There's a pastor in our, in our movement in every nation. His name's Kevin York. And I've heard him preach something similar that if you want to grow, there's nothing stopping you. Take this off. Be hungry for that to die and be hungry for this to be put on. Are there going to be some bumps along the way? Yeah. Are there going to be some stumbles along the way? Absolutely. But if you want to grow, You'll grow. I, I live in a neighborhood not too far from here. And when I, you've heard me bemoan this before. Sometimes I make my coffee and I go and I look out the front window. And I'm never happy when I look out the front window because I see the condition of my yard. There's something that happens in you, maybe in your 40s, I don't know. But there is a pride that takes place in the condition of your yard. Or shame that happens at the condition of your yard. And my grass just doesn't grow properly. It doesn't look good. I'm the embarrassment of my neighborhood, despite being on the HOA. Right? I get letters about my yard in my mailbox, and I know they're right. And so I'm sitting there drinking my coffee and I feel just this stirring in my heart. Just angry at it. Stupid yard. (laughs) Here's the thing. I know what needs to be done for my yard. 
I need to fertilize that yard and I need to actually level that yard and I need some fresh topsoil put in. I may need some sod put in. And there's a timing to this entire process. There's some aerating that needs to be done. I know all the things and have priced out all the things that need to be done. And to, to make matters worse, there is a gigantic skyscraper, humongous tree that is sitting in my front yard. And every landscaper and every professional has come and said, Andy, I got bad news for you. You're not really going to be able to grow grass until you cut this tree down. The shade that, it, that it's providing makes it very difficult for grass to grow. Also, the root system is sucking the life out of the yard and it's keeping everything else from having a vibrant life. Sorry, you're up a creek until you deal with that. Oh, well, thank you for letting me know. How much will that cost? Oh, about $4,000 just for that one tree. Say again? <laughs> Just that one tree. I have about eight trees that need to be brought down. Yeah, that's going to run you. Do the math. And so I know what needs to be done for this to be healthy and for this to grow right. The issue is not a lack of knowledge. The issue is that I don't want to pay the cost. That's the issue. I don't want it disrupting my budget because I don't want to spend money on that. I want to spend money on fun things. Not that. Who wants to sink four grand plus into their yard? Not me. And yet here I am, embarrassed and ashamed at the condition of my yard. But we understand the greatest deterrent to growth is not a lack of knowledge for the average person, but it's an unwillingness to pay the cost. Yeah. Having had four children, the two areas that have brought us the greatest frustration as mothers and fathers have been food, eating at the table, you will eat this, and what you're going to wear. You ever had a kid? You ever been babysitting? And the child comes down, and they're not dressed appropriately for the occasion on which you are getting ready to go. This is your brother's piano recital. You cannot wear those shorts with that holy ragtag shirt that has barbecue sauce stains on it. You cannot do that. That's not appropriate for the occasion. Now, I don't care, actually, as a dad. You got stuff that, that you put together and it doesn't match? All right, I'm down. That doesn't bother me that much. But you come down and you got something that just has holes in it. You know, sweatpants, right? And the sweatpants have holes all over it. No, that's not appropriate for the occasion that we're getting ready to engage in. We all understand this. You can't wear that to school. You can't wear that to church. You cannot wear that because we are getting a family picture and you will like it. The truth is this. Whether it's the cost, whether it's 
not understanding the occasion that you're walking into. Paul exhorts us, and he is exhorting the Colossian church. There is, without a doubt, there is a price that is paid in following Christ, but it is a price worth paying. It is gloriously good news to have a relationship with Jesus and to actually live out this life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. How much better are your relationships when you live this way? How much better is your house and your home and your marriage and your relationship with your brother and sister? Is it perfect? No. But is it so much gloriously better. Yes, it is. But is there a price to be paid at not just giving in to your flesh with every whim and every blowing of the wind? Yes, there is. Put that kind of living to death. In fact, take that off and put this on. Does Paul give you a detailed explanation for how to do it? No, he appeals to the appetite of your soul. If you are hungry for Jesus and relationship with him, you'll figure this out. Is there discipleship? Absolutely. Are there big questions that need to be answered without a doubt? Do we have wardrobe malfunctions along the way? Absolutely. But in general, take this off. Let it go. Your anger, take it off. Your bitterness, unbutton that thing and put it in the trash can. Lust. Sexual immorality. Stop doing it. Just stop doing it. Take this off and put on grace and patience and joy. Put on love for one another. The foundation of it all. James writes in James chapter 1 as the brother of Jesus. And he writes in his letter to the church there, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. The principle being that if you are lacking in any of these areas, just ask God for it. Just ask him for it. Humble yourself and ask him for it. You need wisdom? Ask him for it. And guess what he'll do? By faith, he'll give you wisdom. And the same principle applies everywhere else in your life. And I love this. I, I had a conversation with the family as we closed today. We were talking about parenting and talking about kids and, and, and just, you know, my kid's 14, yours is 15. And, you know, what, what's happening in the heart of your son? And, you know, we're sharing and we're talking about our own lives. And, man, when I was at 14, I didn't love the Lord passionately. You know what I didn't want to do? I, I didn't get up with this hunger to read the Bible with every fiber of my being. I wasn't miniature Pastor Andy and the family member I was talking to was the same way. Surprise. 
When they talked about being in college and in their early 20s and they recognized, they recognized in the same way if you lack wisdom, you're recognizing you're lacking it. They recognized, I don't love the Lord the way I see others loving the Lord. I don't have a relationship with him the way that I'd like to have a relationship with him. And I, I don't know that I really love the scriptures the way that I'd like to love the scriptures. So guess what they did? They literally just prayed, God, I don't think I'm loving you the way that I'd like to love you. I need help putting this on and taking this off. Would you help me? Would you help my heart love you the way you'd like me to love you? And guess what began to happen? The fire of that relationship just began to stir. Simple, isn't it? It's so simple that we miss it. And it's so simple that we forget it. That if you need help from your heavenly father, guess where it starts? God, would you help me? I'm struggling to forgive. Would you help me forgive? I'm struggling to be gracious. Would you help me be gracious? Lord, I'm struggling to not be greedy and, 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 and to be generous. God, help me to be generous. And if you mean it, and if you come to God with faith, guess what he does? He begins to stir and move in your heart. And you begin to take this off and you begin to put this on. Stand to your feet, church. What do you need today? What do you need God to do today? Where do you need God to meet you today? In just a moment, we'll have people available to the left and to the right, and they're here to pray with you and for you. We don't have announcements at the end of service today. It's literally just opening up for you. You need prayer for anything. Maybe it's for something like healing, sickness. Or maybe it's something that you need to put down and something you need to pick up that you need to take off or put on. Whatever it might be, just ask. Just ask. Father, be with us. Lord, I pray that you'd stir in our hearts right now. Stir in our hearts right now, Lord. Help us to be honest with you, honest with ourselves, and deal with what needs to be dealt with today. It's in your name that we pray.